There we go. <laughs> I thought I, I thought nothing was coming out of my mouth because I inhaled a fajita to be on time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I was telling him, I don't know if you heard me. I I'm very. I did, yes, that's fine, Jimmy. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's a it's a pleasure to to talk to both of you and find out what the hell's going on with Humble Pie. In well, we're, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> You're back in a big way, huh? Apparently so. Yeah, we're really yeah. excited about it. Really excited. Yeah, I I see you guys got a tour that's going to start in September. Why don't you tell me? You know what has gone into getting this thing together? You know, because this is a historic band. It's been around forever. And so what has it taken in order for you guys to get, you know, uh, what's going on now? Because I know, Dave, you're the, the band director, right? You lead the band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and it's a very different business nowadays, as we all know. Um, yeah. I mean, Jim and I, you know, go back. You know, to loving the original band. I'm I'm older than Jim. I saw them in in '71 in Hyde Park and said, "That's what I want to do." You know, <laughs> and, um, you know. I, I got the moving on. You know, I got to meet Jerry Shirley uh, when he was living in Cleveland, and he was a DJ. And he introduced. I was in bad company at the time. And he introduced the show, and I plucked up enough courage to go up and say, "Hey, Mr. Shirley," <laughs> you know. And he said, where are you from? And it turns out we're from the same town, you know. I mean, his mother even taught me in school for two weeks, you know. Really, really good friends. So when he put the band back together in 2000 with Greg Ridley and Bobby Tench, he called me and uh, we wrote the album Back on Track, which I produced. And we've been friends ever since. And we've been trying to get this band on the road because the music's too good not to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Now I had heard and, and, and I don't know, and I'm guessing that this is completely false. I had heard at one point in time that he had just picked up a band in Kansas city. Is that correct? Uh, he had a band, but he was in Cleveland. He had oh, okay, a band. Um, it was, I forget the guy's name. He was, Oh God. Um, he was, a, he was a good singer and he, he, I think he was in fog hat or something like that. Okay. And they, they did a bunch of dates and all that. And, you know, they Jerry was in control and, you know, they, they did it. But J Jerry's, he, he can't play live. He can't tour anymore. He's, he's had new hips and, and yeah. he, he just don't want to go on the road no more. But the friendship he and myself built up from 2000, um, we, we we said, look, we've got to have this music out there. A lot of Humble Pie fans never saw the original band, and it's such a catalogue and right. such an explosive live band. So Jerry entrusted me to put a band together. And, uh, I mean, I've worked with Jim for, for years. I mean, we, we were both in a band with Kenny Jones from The Faces and The Who and Rick Wilson, Foreigner, and, um, you know, that's, just heaven for Jim and myself, right, Jim? Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. Any <laughs> <laughs> yeah. opportunity to work with, with Ron Woods or the faces of small faces is wow. You know, that's that's legendary shit right there, man. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I've definitely had a few pinch me moments along along the road, haven't we? 
I get, yeah. I can imagine. Well, and, and I'm sure Dave has as well, you know, I'm my God, you know, playing with bad company and all that, that other kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's really amazing. It's really cool to see. So I, I like to see legacy bands continue. You know what I mean? Because me personally, I love the music from the seventies, sixties and seventies to me that that was music. You know, I don't... Jimmy, a lot of people do, man. You know what I mean? I, I saw it firsthand with Bad Company doing very long tours in America, particularly, you know, six or seven months with bands like Skinnerd and Styx and those bands with marquee value, you know, and people come out to a shed, 30, 40,000 people sing along, bring their kids. So you've got a new generation, you know, and, um, as I said earlier, the business has changed as much as as great as some of the new acts are. They're not going to, you know, fill a shed in Wisconsin. You know, I mean, they, it, I mean, it's tough. I feel for them, you know, because the business yeah. has changed. We're very yeah. lucky. You know? Now, do you guys think, you know, since we're on that topic, do you guys think that that part of that is because of the oversaturation of music? You know what I mean? It's like anybody with a laptop can make an album and put it out there. And it feels like to me sometimes that there is just so much that we're inundated to the point to where, you know, when when people used to release an album, it was a big deal. Guys like me would go to the record store, you know, when albums would come out and, you know, rifle through them and, and buy all the new albums you knew when somebody was putting out an album, but today it seems like it's really harder to even know. And I get inundated, you know, I've, I've got almost 2 million people that listen to my show and I have publicists and record labels all over the world sending me stuff constantly. But I can tell you if they didn't, I probably wouldn't know it either. Well, Jim can answer that more than me because he's, you know, he's more on the ball with that. I mean, I'm kicking and fighting against this new regime. I'm trying my best. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting, man. Like, I, I definitely um, think that, you know, the 60s and the 70s really kind of let, were a result of, you know, decades and decades of preparation, you know, all basically coming from, you know, the greater public getting switched on to essentially, you know, black music, you know, blues and soul music that, you know, a bunch of, uh, people got into and then added, you know, heavy guitars to, and you ended up with bands like Humble Pie. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think um, it's it's different, and it's uh, you know, discovering music now is you go about it a different way. You know, print media to a large extent has you know stop being the thing it's not like you pick up a copy of melody maker or the M nme or whatever these days and and you know see what's coming out this week you know there's new music dropping all the time radio still you know luckily plays a big part on it but like you know you know things like this and 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 spotify and and all the streaming services there's definitely some negatives that are attached to that you know we've said goodbye to money from album sales a long time ago but mm -hmm. Um, you also discover a lot of new music that way. You know, a lot of those kind of recommend, you know, like the kind of radio stations that if you like this, well, maybe you like this. I discover tons of music that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are still definitely people out there doing it. And, you know, I mean, obviously the huge stars like the Taylor Swifts or whatever, they're 
kick in. You know, I mean, I think I saw 20,000 people outside of her show singing along to the show inside the stadium the other day. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard of that. Um, but I, I think when it comes to bands, I think it's it, it has got a lot more difficult. You know, I think those first few rungs on the ladder, you know, those clubs that really were um, known for putting on live music of a certain standard, I think that kind of got beaten up a bit by the pay-to-play thing, you know? Um, you know, a lot of people could afford to, you know, essentially hire out a venue and say, well, we're going to put this amount of money so the venue owners were happy uh, because they were making their money that night. The problem is that it diluted the reputations of some of those venues. And and then the kind of EDM movement really changed things as well, you know, a lot, especially in, in the UK. But, you know, like a lot of, you know... <laughs> In the UK, I, I often joke, you know, if you're setting up for a gig, people will ask you what time you're on so they can leave. Whereas over in America, over here, <laughs> they'll they'll ask you what time they're on so they can call their friends, you know. And and that's yeah. why, you know, Humble Pie are planning on, you know, starting at least over here because there is a hunger still for live music, you know. And and I certainly appreciate that. And it's one of the reasons I moved here, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's funny, you know, there used to be a venue in Hermosa Beach, California called Cafe Boogaloo. Yeah. And I used to play there, right? And you would play from 8 to 10, and that was it. And then at 10 o'clock, it became a, um, you know, uh, like the EDM. I mean, they had a disc yeah. jockey, and people were lined up out the door around the block to get into there. And you'd be struggling to put, you know, 150 people in there while you were playing. That's what it's like in England now, especially in London. All the rock venues in London, the curfew is 10, then it opens into a disco or, or whatever, and, you know. It's, yeah. I mean, it's weird. It's like, I've, I've never... Him. The I've look never, on his face is precious. <laughs> you know, I've, I've never understood that because, like, you got... And, and the part of the problem, once again, is that, like, bands stop being reliable and venues stop being reliable for knowing being known to put on known to put on really good acts you know the pay to play thing really had a check had a problem there but if there was a venue that only had great bands like I'm, I'm personally i'd much rather go and see three five seven people on stage killing it you know with all of the experience that has come that they've built up over the years than going to see a guy just press play you know, like to me, it's yeah. a bit weird. I mean, we're still in the business now. So, I mean, not to sort of go back and be like, oh, back in the old days. But in the old days, the marquee in London, they would queue up to buy a ticket without knowing who's on. And the, the whispers would go around. And then some guy would go, well, you know, I'm not sure. And then he'd come back and he'd find out that it was Led Zeppelin and he didn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> That's, but you know, you know, it's you know, you you talked about uh, uh, Jim. You talked about a, a hunger, you know, for for live music here. But you know, there are people, and and I'm one of those people that thinks that it's difficult to tour nowadays here in the United States. Yeah. I, I think it's really difficult. And you see, some guys are are retiring. Some guys that are you know out there. I'll say, I'll mention Ted Nugent for instance. You know, he's he's announced that he's not touring anymore. And part of it is, is because it just is just not affordable. You know, it's, it's, yeah, well, he sells a lot of bows and arrows, so he's all right. 
yeah he does yeah he's probably okay yeah it's weird you know i think i noticed last time i was you know nothing even as glamorous as the the humble pie tour we're gonna do but just being out on the road on my own in the last couple of years you know it started to be more difficult when you're doing those runs that you know your expenses and your overheads really start to add up and your you know your your income level to a certain extent is set you know even if you're playing um you know decent sized venues because there's so many fees taken now you know so many merch fees so many venue fees and all that sort of stuff i, I was um listening to a podcast about this the other day that even the top level guys like Ted and other guys, you know, like it started to be a little hard work, but I think it's still doable. I just think, you know, they might not be able to do it in the style they've become accustomed to, you know what I mean? Like if, if you're not playing sheds and you're not, you know, grossing millions per show, you've got to downsize in other ways, you know, and, um, I'm playing with a, a different artist right now who's really coming up and she, you know, every person in the band does a secondary role because that means you can just have one tour bus instead of having to pay for two, you know, like one person in the band is a PT instructor. The other person does social media, you know, it's, it's just changed and it's, it's got a little smaller, but it, it is possible, you know, it really is. Okay, the thing is as well, you know, I mean, not losing sight of, why are we doing it? I mean, we obviously love it all the crazy, but right. you know, when you do this, the reaction we've got to this humble pie with legacy, we're calling it, which is put together by the founder member Jerry, um, with blessing of, of Peter Frampton and, and Clem and all the families of the Marriott kids and the Greg Ridley's kids and all that. We're very conscious of doing the right thing in every way, but when you when we, you know, the the feeling about this tour, the excitement is so great, you know, and the people want to hear the music done by a band that, you know, we it's not a tribute band. We don't wear wigs and shit like that, you know, <laughs> but we have got that soul because we played with the guys anyway. Right. And we grew up with the same sort of music. So we're going to deliver a great show with yeah. a lot of the songs that Humble by the original band never played live, you know. No. Um, so we're, we're excited to do that. So how how is the inner working between you two? Oh, dreadful! It, it, gets, it gets better with wine. <laughs> <laughs> the more wine you drink, the better it is, right? Well, well no, the more wine we drink, the better we think we are. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a four piece band, and there's a lot of music going on, like with with Bad Company who is mainly based around choruses and the singing, et cetera. With Humble Pie, it's almost, um, how can I say, it's, it's rehearsed jamming, you know? So, <laughs> you know, when when Jim came on board and we said, look, we'll both learn all of the guitar parts and we'll just sit in a room and see what comes natural to either of us. And because we've worked together before, it's a really natural thing anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the split of parts is different than the original band because, you know, the one thing we wanted to do is play to our strengths, right? Because right. why wouldn't you? Um, and so I think, and Bucket's, uh, you know, 
is the boss and he gets to take kind of whatever he wants to take. But for me, it's like, I'm, I'm happy to fill in and push and pull with him. So you might see me playing a line that Clem played instead of, you know, Bucket playing that line, but you'll hear together and it'll all be there you know what i mean and it is very oh, yeah. natural you know if you like it is and we've got a fantastic rhythm section i mean you know jerry you imagine being a drummer after satisfied jerry shirley and and bobby does i mean he's a monster drummer yeah and knows that songs inside and and ivan is such a consummate musician the bass player i mean musical director for sam and dave and uh, i mean it's just a great lineup where we all gel like bands did, especially in my view, in the 70s, the bands that came from England, usually a four-piece band. And I mean, every one of them was not a virtuoso musician by any means. I've played with them all. But mm. you put it together and that's when you get the magic, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, some of the American bands have a different way of doing it. You know, they'd be trying to blow each other off stage. I don't know, you know. Yeah. So so what was the process like for you, though, Dave, handpicking, you know, Jim to play with you? Well, it was a natural progression. I mean, as I said, we played together a long time with Kenny Jones. When Kenny first met Jim, if I'm not mistaken, it was through Kiefer Sutherland, right, Jim? Uh, no, weirdly, it, it wasn't. We went for dinner, and, but it was actually through a, a lawyer friend of mine, a blues guitar playing uh, lawyer friend of mine called Saichi Sugiyama. Do you, right. do you know Saichi? Yes. Yeah, he's great. And I, I sang on his one of his records many, many moons ago when I was 16. And he used to go and have a cheeky glass of down at uh, the polo club and met Kenny and overheard him right. trying to find a new singer for the faces at the time. Right. Yeah. So that's how. Well, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a part of record that Kenny, you know, quoted. You know, I played with the best singers in the world, and Jim Stapley is one of them. You know. Um, yeah. In kudos, and but we've always got on great on stage, Jim and I. You know, it's just a, a natural. I think it quite surprised. You know, we, we started rehearsals this year, and Bobby and Ivan were quite surprised at the how Jim and I just were like. You know, like just locked in. You know. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you when you go see bands today, like like let's say you know Bad Company or Foreigner, or, you know some of the you know historic classic rock bands, and that a lot of those bands today, you know, everything they do sounds exactly like the record. I mean, it it there's nothing deviated from it. Is that what people are going to expect from this tour with you guys? I mean, as I said earlier, Bad Company, I'm sorry, Humble Pie, sorry, I'll get them all mixed up. Humble Pie was, was more improvisation. Mm. Um, Steve Marriott was definitely the conductor. You know, I mean, you can see there's very few videos, but he, and I, I've been through this with, with Jerry. Jerry had to watch him like a hawk. He conducted when you come in, when you come out and all that. Mm. And he was such a presence on stage, you know a little fella called him the midget you know but i mean most powerful midget you've ever heard you know? <laughs> we're, we're, we're encapsulating some of that in in the performance the individual performances and performing together but we are trying to do 
as many songs in the set as we can. So we're not going to be doing 40 minutes of Rolling Stone, for example. Right. Yeah, well, I think I think that the approach is, you know, certainly for me, learning the stuff, learning some of those Peter lines or the Clemois is, you know, they never played it exactly the same every time because they were such a live band. So it's more like, look, it has to live in that world. It has to be in the spirit of whoever was playing that solo. You know, if it was Clem or if it was Peter or if it was Steve, it, it still has to, when we're playing it, it has to do the, it evoke the same feeling, but does it have to make be exactly the same notes as the record? Well, no, because they never did it the same notes as the record. It was, exactly. I mean, they were in mid flight and they were going at it and it, whatever came out of their brains and their fingers and his mouth, was what happened that night. And, you know, that I think that level of energy and that level of kind of guesswork or just kind of flying by the seat of our pants will keep it interesting for us. And the level of energy that we'll bring to that because of that fact is going to make it a hell of a show, you know? I mean, the, the Foreigner band that's out now are <laughs> fantastic. I mean, they really are. It's a great show. And it's like hit after hit after hit. But that that is them. That's not humble pie. Right. Right. Well, I, I personally, I like it when a band uh, does what I would consider a live, a a live performance as opposed to, you know, playing exactly. I mean, when I go see foreigner, which I've seen foreigner a couple of times, you know, in that uh, with, with the new band and they sound, they sound amazing. I mean, it's really amazing, but I personally, when I go see a band, you know, I want, what would be, you know, something unique for that night for me. Right. Yeah. I want, I want, you know, the guitar player to go off on something or the band yeah. to do something completely different, you know, simply because that gives the audience, you know, a unique experience that they're not going to get. And then when you go to the next show, it's a different show. And I think that also, wouldn't that encourage people to say, Hey, let's go over here, you know, because each show is different. No, yeah. they do they follow you on tour. They, I mean, yeah. with the bad company when I was in it, you know, it was a most of the time it's just a four piece band, you know, the Paul Rogers, me on guitar, Rick on bass, and Simon on drums. And we'd be on tour with Sticks, who are a fantastic band, completely different to bad company. And I think they had 27 wireless systems going at the same time. <laughs> and and they, we'd go on a middle start, they, they'd when they first saw us, they went, how are we going to follow that? You know, because we would be different every night. Yeah. 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 I like that. But some people can't do that. Right. I mean, some players, you know, they, they have to stay to the script. They have to stay in their lane, you know, and that's just the way that they do it. And and that's okay too. But I personally like, I like the uniqueness of. Yeah. uh, I think that's a really hard thing for, um some bands to do you know especially those bands like foreigner and sticks you know you you hear of like you know guys even like stevie wonder and 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 and, you know bob dylan who just gets slammed for not playing the songs exactly like the record it's like hang on Mm -hmm. you know they're still artists they're still Mm -hmm. reinventing themselves you think if you think they're the same as they were when they cut this music 30 40 years ago you're mad you know and if you want that go home and put the record on you know? Yeah, I mean, check out a Bruce Springsteen show on this tour. I mean, yeah. a masterclass in every sense of the word. Oh, it's know? amazing. It yeah. was amazing. I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, yeah, that guy, he's, he's, he's something else. He's something else. So your guys's tour starts in September, correct? correct. September 8th. Yeah. We, we have uh, a show um, in Woodstock, Georgia, which is just up the road from where we're going to be rehearsing. So it's kind of a warm up show uh, yeah. at a place called Mad Life Staging Studios. We play an early show and a late show. And then we have a day off and then we're going to go back into the studio and just tinker with a few things, if anything needs tinkering. And then we hit the road uh, straight to Virginia Beach, September 13th. Yeah. So uh, when, when you you said that you guys will get together before you do the show, uh, yeah. how, how, how long do you do that? Because I know some guys, you know, they'll just pop in, they'll just, you know, tool around yeah. for a few hours and make sure they got yeah, things. Well, take about 20 minutes. We don't want to peak early. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so last time, you know, we, you, Bucket came over when we filmed. I don't, I'm sure you've seen the, the reel that we filmed and there's more footage of that coming. Um, but last time, you know, Bucket and I got together first to do what we talked about, go through all those guitar parts and make sure that, you know, um, I don't know about you, but but as soon as I think when I'm playing, I mess things up. Like, yeah. so he and I like went through all the parts so that we each knew where we were going in the song. And it was kind of muscle memory before we walked in with the band. And I think um, I think we're going to have total about a week. Uh, yeah. we, you know, we'll all you know, obviously we all do our homework and we'll, we're already kind of working on the set list now. Um, and then we'll we'll get in me and bucket will, will spend a few days and then the boys will be there and the crew will come in and we'll it will be it'll be performance related but it'll, it'll also be like logistics stuff like sound and monitoring and and all of that type of stuff and you know really simple stuff like i need that guitar for this song i don't want to trip over your cable when i go and get it so you you know silly <laughs> things like that that you just have to kind of think about yeah. so in the moment you don't have to think about it you know um, right. but i don't no. think it'll take longer than a week now, as as players, are you guys different in the sense of are you both? Would you say you're both minim minimalist in the sense of when it comes to your gear and your sound, or are you techie kind of guys? Where you know what I mean? Because I'm the kind of guy that I know I see all your guitars and that, but I'm the kind of guy I've I've got like 600 pedals, and I could spend an entire day just playing with overdrive pedals to determine what I want to use. Are you guys like that, or is it pretty simple and straightforward? Or I mean, um, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. problem. Okay, all right, all right. Well, okay. I, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, pretty much, I'm, I'm in the amp. I have a tuner, and I have a boost for solos. Now, yeah. I'm just Jim's been doing a lot of the Clem wah wah parts. But we're thinking we're thinking of doing hot and nasty, and Jim will be playing keyboards. So there's a wah wah guitar, and I've never had one in my life, and I've just purchased one this week. Uh oh, <laughs> to the dark side. Uh oh, no, <laughs> no, it's a good I'm, thing. I'm going to fall off it. I know. I, will. <laughs> I think you're going to do great, mate. It's all. It's I've, even, all right. I've even taken the little rubber feet off it, so it's lower on the floor. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get you a rug and some velcro so it doesn't that's that's it yeah, Stick that's to the, the way velcro. to do it man that is that's perfect so so let me ask you dave what kind of kind of amp are you going into do you, I, i'm gonna guess now correct me if i'm wrong but i'm gonna guess you're you're a guy that either does one or two you're either a high watt guy or a marshall guy 
I was a Marshall guy for like 35 years. Yeah. And um, then some of the guys from Marshall broke off and formed a company called Blackstar. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and the, the, it was the two engineers that designed the JCM and the head of sales and all that. And they yeah. knew me. They, they got me to help voice out their first amps. And uh, I've been using them ever since. You know, I, I used the first one as with all companies that they, they go for one model first and then they change them up. But I still use the original S100 series one. You know, I'll be darned. You know I, I host a, uh, a guitar show, like a buy, sell trade type show uh, outside of Chicago. And I had Jared James Nichols here last year. As a yeah. And he brought his black star, that little green amp, he brought it's it up on the stage, and I was absolutely blown away by how good. I mean, what a player he is! You know, I yeah, went to see. I saw him at the Gibson showroom in London, yeah. and I said to this publicist, "I said I'd love to meet him." You know, and he, he's man, I met you before. I saw you back, and we went back to stage, and he had that fifty-four Les Paul. We had, yeah, oh, yeah. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. And I had one of these, you know, guitar killers on. So I took it off and put it in his guitar case, you know, and I'm playing his guitar and it was such a dream. And he went back to America and I realized this was still in his case. <laughs> my wife's, you know, oh boy, <laughs> took me eight months to get it back. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't answer his phone super quick. No, no, but what a tone, you know. And, oh yeah. yeah. So, and his fingers, any no picks. Yeah, yeah, I know, but that, but I yeah. played through one of his signature Black Star amps, and they are—they're fantastic, you know. Really. Yeah, I, I was blown away. I, 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 you know, I've known Jared for a long time, and I've liked him as a player. But when I saw him at at my guitar show at the clinic stage, and he was just jamming, I was like, man, not only could he play, but that amp sounded so damn good. And I've almost bought that amp a couple of times, but yeah. I actually just got his guitar. I think it's back there, right. I just bought the guitar. It's hanging on the wall, I think, back there. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know I'm trading the pickups out. So, <laughs> hey man, whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. So, what are you going? I see you got a Fender amp back there. Is that your go-to? I can't yeah, that's the uh, the hand-wired '64 custom. Um, Very cool. Uh, you know, deluxe reverb. I'll probably have um, a couple of those just to uh, well be able to slightly compete with the cacophony that comes out of bu behind bucket and it's amazing <laughs> uh, but yeah you know it's funny like you know with the pedals and uh i have a, a <clears throat> jhs morning glory and a, a z drive and a couple of other things and i find that you know it's a very good pedal platform yeah um because you know the one thing about fender amps is they're so damn loud but i'm not using a power brake because it's just another thing um so i i tend to find that you know putting it setting it around three three and a half like just under where it would break up and then using those overdrive pedals to put it over the top really helps but and you know i've got a lot on this board here but for humble pie it's it's going to be pretty straightforward you know boost wah yeah and um you know not much else it doesn't need it maybe a touch of reverb but the amp's got that you know so i might i might take a small smaller board out just to keep it simple yeah that's nice and uh i i know you got a, a variety of guitars there jim but is the telecaster your guitar of choice uh well i won't be i mean i play a few like obviously i've got this guy 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's the one you'll see me playing with Humble Pie. That's the, the Dwight reissue. Right. Um, but then, yeah, and I'll be bringing... Um, I'll be bringing this one on the road, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, the VOS 57 Gold Top. Uh, awesome. That's set up for slide right now, but I'm going to have it reset, and I'll probably bring that and... And then that, yeah, the Nash telly as a backup. That Nash is amazing. And and Bucket mentioned earlier, actually, Kiefer Sutherland gave me that uh, guitar. Oh, did he really? Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a beast. So, yeah, I'll probably be taking those three um, with the Humble Pie tour. But then I've got I've got weird stuff too, you know. I can't, oh, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a problem. It, no, 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 I, I get it. I've, I've got 63, so I... Oh, my I, word. I know the problem. I, and I've sold some, so it's like. And what about you, Dave? What's what's your guitar of choice? Now I've I think I, if I mean I, I've just got one of the um, the Peter Frampton Phoenix, you know, the, the custom shop where they've just yeah. copied his, you know, it's called the Phoenix because of it's been up in flames, it's been stolen in plane crashes and everything. Right. And I've just got one of them, and it's it's just a beautiful guitar, you know, it really is. Yeah. Uh, the same as Jim's uh, Epiphone Coronet there. I had I had a 61 Coronet, and uh, Epiphone bought that new one out, and it's just as good. It's really great. Right. I'll be taking that on. I love P90 pickups. Um, I've got a 56 Junior that I really love. Um, but the two main guitars for Humble Pie will be the, the Frampton Phoenix, and I've got an 86 Black Les Paul Custom. Which is a cracker as well. Kind of like the, the Marriott one, isn't it? It is. It weighs yeah. a ton. It just weighs <laughs> a ton. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Great. Well, it's going to be a great tour. You know, I, I wish that I was going to be around to see it. Unfortunately, I'll be I'll be in Asia by the time you guys go on tour. Okay. We'll be in Asia sometime. I mean, our manager, Steve, he manages Toto and he has those guys out there. So worldwide deal don't you worry <laughs> well good 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 i hope i hope you come because uh you know i'm hoping to to connect with a lot of bands when they come over that way and that yeah steve's a great guy i'm you guys you guys are in good hands for sure with him yeah he's awesome yeah yeah well i tell you what guys i, I apologize again for for being late and but i thank you so much for your time I wish you guys all the best on your tour and everything that's going on. I, the videos that I've seen and what I've seen, the band sounds great. You know, I know your guys' history, so I know how you sound individually. So I know when it comes together, it's going to be amazing for the audience. And so I just wish you all the best. Thanks, Thank man. You. It's been good, good fun chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And you guys take care, okay? Good travel, sir. Yeah, right. yeah. Good luck with the move. Yeah, thanks very much. Okay. Bye-bye now. Um,